Okay, everyone, here we go. Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace, Haiti, America's team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, excuse me, and Task Force on the Americas. We broadcast 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern right here on YouTube Live, including channels for the Convo Couch, Code Pink, and Popular Resistance. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, radindymedia.com, and now under pop, now, excuse me, now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, 219 Years of Haitian Independence, A History of the First Revolution in the Americas. And I'm really, really excited, all of you, to meet three of my friends that I have worked with for many years in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I'd like you to meet my three friends from the Haiti Action Committee. Um, we have Pierre Labossier, Judith Murkison, and, my, and Seth Donnelly, who I'm excited joined us. I wasn't sure we were gonna see you today, <laughs> Seth. So Pierre is actually the founder of, um, of the Haiti Action Committee. He was born in Haiti. He is a veteran labor and human rights activist. And as I said, he's the co-founder of Haiti Action Committee and he's also a board member of the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. Judith's work, um, she is part of the Haiti Action Committee as well. And her work focuses on women in Haiti organizing and overcoming sexual violence, um, the impact of the United Nations and militarism, as well as US interventionism. And Seth is a, a teacher in, uh, actually you were on sabbatical, I think this year, yep. correct? Yeah, Seth? Yeah, yeah. And he is with the Haiti Action Committee as well. And uh, some of you may know, Seth and I actually met in Port-au-Prince a number of years ago. I actually think it was like spring of 2016, Seth was on the last day or two of your delegation that you were leading. And I think I was just starting mine, which yeah. Pierre, um, you helped us organize. So, so a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, of friendship and years of solidarity work here to share with the audience um, today. And so it's really, it's always fun for me to have friends and activists join the program. So Thank also, you, you know, I should mention for the audience that um, Seth and Merck wrote a really fabulous report, and I will include this in the program notes. Um, the two of you wrote uh, a human rights report on the 2018 La Saline massacre. Am I correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Referencing? Yeah. And I'll share the link to that report um, for the audience. So before we start this terrific conversation and really important conversation, I just want to tell the audience, you know, we really, to me and to, and to the guests, of course, Haiti is, pro is the most important uh, for those of us who do Latin America uh, and Caribbean solidarity work. It's the most important country in the hemisphere. It was the first uh, to thwart uh, slavery and colonialism. And I think all four of us would share with you, we do not talk about Haiti enough. 
We should be talking about Haiti more, 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 which is why we are talking um, with you today in this episode. We, we were so certain that the news this week would be focused on the Cuban revolution and the fabulous news of Lula's inauguration, excuse me, inauguration in Brazil. But we really wanna talk about Haiti too, because January 1st was the 219th anniversary of Haitian independence. And um, let me just give you a really quick, um, a little quick history. So on January 1st, 1804, Haiti became an independent republic following the revolution, which had begun 13 years earlier as a rebellion of enslaved people against slavery and French colonialism. Previously known as Saint-Dominique, it was the most profitable colony in the world generating greater revenue than all of the continental North American colonies combined. This immense wealth was generated by the sweat and blood of enslaved Africans who were being worked to death in their tens of thousands on coffee and sugar plantations. So, uh, so with that, I'll ask the rest of you to join the conversation. Maybe we should talk, Pierre, since you were born and raised in Haiti. Maybe you can give us just a brief history of the revolution. And then I think it's probably for all of us to share with the audience really in 219 years, how very little Haiti has been allowed. And I use the word allowed because of international and colonial pressures still existing to this day. Yes, thank you so much, Terry. A real pleasure to be on your show as usual. Um, yeah, this is the 219th anniversary of the revolution, and uh, the first stage of it was po uh, political independence, physical independence from France, and on that date, people named the island, the, the, the land Haiti, which is the original name of the Arawats, but also in the African language, one of the African languages, it means do not obey. And I like to point out that this was a, a, a pan-Africanist revolution in the sense that you had people from different parts of Africa brought together, enslaved together, uh, who rose up together and fought against slavery. They could have named the island the Congo. They could have named it Dahomey or Angola, since many of them were from the various regions. But they chose to honor the original people, Haiti, and also because the name means also not to obey in one of the languages. Mm -hmm. So Haiti declared itself independent, an, indi an independent nation. And I want to point out that in the struggle for independence and among the leaders, the revolution that you mentioned was launched initially by Bookman Dotti and a woman, Cécile Fatima. They were the two co-leaders of that movement. And in the struggle for independence, many times the women are not given enough um, representation, given their role in the struggle, not only as leaders, but also on the front lines as foot soldiers in the struggle. So uh, Cecile Fatima was one Sanit Belair and so many others who were really wonderful people in charge of this uh, struggling during that struggle. So Haiti, upon its uh, founding, declared itself a sanctuary nation. And I know Merck is going to talk about the whole issue with refugees and what have you. Haiti declared itself a sanctuary nation. 
and called upon uh, people of indigenous origins and people of African descent. Whenever they escaped from slavery or touch Haitian soil, they would become Haitian citizens and Haiti would fight for their freedom. Um, I want to close briefly by saying that not only did Haiti declare itself a sanctuary nation, but Haiti also um, made it as part of its DNA, express its solidarity with people struggling for freedom and independence and against slavery. In that respect, Simon Bolivar came to Haiti seeking assistance, Miranda before mm -hmm. him, later on Simon Bolivar, and Haitians provided him with shelter. They provided him with weapons, ammunition, and many Haitians who were veterans of the war against Spain, Britain, and France. Because during the ter those 13 years, uh, the enslaved Africans had to fight against all of those big powers in order to become independent and abolish slavery. So they went back with um, Bolivar, at least on two occasions, where he successfully was able to defeat Spanish colonialism. When he asked how should he repay Haiti, and the Haitian president had told him at the time, and the Haitian people had told him, all you have to do is to abolish slavery. This is our only condition for payment. So I'll stop right there. Can I, I, I think that people don't realize, like we think, oh, in those times, people didn't have very much communication compared to now. Actually, the Haitian Revolution, people on the Atlantic coast in particular, throughout the Americas, and certainly in what became the US, um, were completely inspired. There was great communication in all that period. And they were greatly inspired by the example of the Haitian people. And um, it was a beacon, really, a beacon of hope and, and determination for all the peoples of the Americas and certainly uh, for the enslaved people in the, in the US. The other thing that uh, I think that we should say is uh, two things. One, that they were punished, Haitians, as is often the case, they were punished for actually declaring their own freedom. And the port of Haiti was uh, blocked, embargoed by the French, by Napoleon, supported by Thomas Jefferson. And then they had to pay back, their, they had to pay back the people who had enslaved them, which I, I'm sure people will talk about, but was basically the equivalent of $22 billion that impoverished Haiti until the 20th century. And one of the reasons that, you know, often people say, oh, Haiti, it's so poor. It was made poor. It was intervened. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way back to that. And the other thing I think that people don't realize is the Haitian Revolution cre helped create the United States because France was so impoverished that they had to sell the Louisiana Purchase and uh, to Thomas Jefferson. And uh, that, of course, doubled the size of, of the US mm -hmm. and led to American expansion. So all of that, the, the uh, history of Haiti and the history of the United States are completely intertwined and, and remain so to this day. You know, I think this is really fascinating for the audience to remind all of us that it, that um, the Haitian Revolution did lead to the Louisiana Purchase and to the doubling of the U.S. at that time. This and Pierre, you mentioned um, Simon Bolivar and how Haiti financed his army twice 
to defeat Spain in South America or what the countries are, what are they today? Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Panama. He saw what was happening to the north of, 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 of the continent. He saw what was happening, what the U.S. was doing, the expansion of the U.S., and he was very, very much concerned about that. And um, I think that's a really, you know, all of that just ties all the history of the Americas and the Caribbean, Latin America, North America, and the Caribbean together. It all was unfolding at the same time, but he was so keen on warning, you know, South America specifically about the, the U.S. expansion and what it could mean, what it actually has turned out to mean for the hemisphere. If I may say, if I may add a little mm -hmm. quick, I know Seth uh, will be, um, if I may add a little quick that the whole idea of Pan-Americanism was not only Bolivar's idea, but it was also Alexandre Pétion, the Haitian president. Mm -hmm. yes. And the two of them had, seen that and had long discussions because Bolivar spent a long time in Haiti and Alexandre Pétion was a good friend of his and they talked about Pan-Americanism and it's unfortunate that the U.S. back then exercised so much pressure on the countries of South America that had become newly independent including Bolivar that uh, to their shame they disinvited Haiti mm -hmm. at the first conference of the Pan-American Conference. So Haiti, who was a partner in this whole, in the idea of coming together uh, to fight against colonialism, was excluded because the U.S. wouldn't sit down with a country of former slaves of black people, basically. Yeah. So right. I just wanted yeah. to interject this. Yeah. I mean, that was what could be what what we often talk as the the first summit of the Americas. Precisely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Haiti was disinvited to after after funding and Simon Bolivar twice. So, yeah. I was going to add to what pretty. Mark was saying, uh, uh, Terry, just to jump in on that. I was going to add to Merck's point about the debt that yeah. the French extorted with U.S. backing. As I'm sure many of your uh, viewers and listeners know, in the um, under President Woodrow Wilson, in the early 20th century, the US directly invaded Haiti and occupied and took over the debt collection directly. And, and actually during that occupation, they moved Haiti's gold reserves into the US. Um, Citibank, I think it was Citibank got involved in the debt collection. Mm -hmm. And the debt, the, the, the extortion of the funds from Haiti was going all the way up into the 1940s, you know. Um, and during that, that, that brutal occupation, from 1918 to 1933 that Woodrow Wilson started and then continued in, all the way into FDR, they uh, pressured Haiti to rewrite its constitution to open up for foreign ownership of resources. So we, we see that throughout this history, the colonial powers, particularly first France, but then particularly the United States have, have, have put their, their foot on, on the neck of the Haitian people so that the people cannot even manage, collectively manage their own resources for their own development. And that's exactly part of the struggle today, of course. All over, yeah. all over the world, particularly in the global, global South and, and the four of us specifically see it in Latin America and the Caribbean. And it was, you mentioned um, the debt. It, let me just read this to 
uh, for the audience. In 1825, France finally agreed to recognize Haiti's independence, provided it compensate former enslavers to the tune of 150 million gold francs, 21 billion today, a ransom which deeply impoverished the government and was not fully repaid until 1947. Yeah, which you mentioned, Seth, into the 1940s. I mean, how do you develop a nation and its people when you have, like you said, when you have that, you know, boot on your neck? That, that... And when the people have exercised their self-determination um, and, and been, let me put it this way, when they've been able to translate their struggle for self-determination into an electoral victory, which was in 1990 with President Aristide, um, and then, uh, there, of course, U.S. moves in with the coup in 1991 and installs a, a military dictatorship. And then again, the same thing happens in 2000. Aristide is able to be reelected in an overwhelming landslide by the poor majority. And one of his things around the bicentennial, because that was the 200th anniversary in 2004 mm -hmm. approaching, was to tell the French, you have to pay back. And then in 2004, there's the second coup executed by the United States, France, and Canada. And military troops, Pierre, military troops were sent like in the early 1900s by the U.S. Is that, am I? Mm -hmm. That's correct. correct in mm -hmm. thinking that, yeah. So yeah, in 1915, the U.S. came in and there was a, uh, people were on the march there and there was a movement to change the system. Uh, there were peasant armies that were, uh, that were in an uprising and uh, several, Asian presidents were being replaced one after another. And the people were on the verge of that. That's when the US troops came in. And mm -hmm. they, during that period of 19 years of direct US forces occupying Haiti, um, close to over 20,000 Haitians were massacred. There was the use of aerial bombing against Haitians and uh, against the Haitian peasantry. And also that's when we first saw the first massive flight out of Haiti of Haitian refugees mm. from that period as a result of this war and intervention. And I know Merck has been on the border, yeah. so that ties in very well with what she, she has mm -hmm. seen today. That that flight has not has not stopped. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your recent trip to the border, because that's a really nice way to segue to to current day and to help everyone understand that despite liberating itself, nothing has really fundamentally changed for Haiti or nothing has been allowed to change is probably the better. The Haitians change things for themselves. They haven't been allowed to see the full benefits well, of that. I think, I think we, we have to step back a minute because I think probably people have heard you know, how horrible or how desperate the situation in Haiti is right now, and that the country, basically, um, civil society has completely fallen apart. There is no government. The government that exists with Ariel Henry is, um, he is not an elected official. He has been appointed by, by the United States and Britain and Canada. And he quite recently, um, in fact, I think in the last week, Pierre, he's he's uh, declared that there's going to be um, an electoral commission that he appoints himself that 
the broad uh, sectors of Haitian society have rejected. And the US has said that he can stay in until 2024. At the same time, the US has and Haitian elite have weaponized gangs and there's mass violence in Haiti and nothing is quite functioning. And so all of this is leading to the threat of yet another intervention. And I know people have- It's almost like it's being orchestrated. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. That's yeah. It, it. It feels like that, you know, a lot. And what this has resulted in is a mass, massive um, immigration from Haiti and a, and a refugee crisis. This is not just a migrant crisis. This is a refugee crisis. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and perhaps people saw a year ago, those horrific images of border guards on horseback uh, whipping Haitian refugees. And so they, right. they sort of cooled that, but at the same time in the last year or so, 30,000 Haitians have been deported and flown back to Haiti wow. to this horrible situation. And that's in the United States. They're also deporting uh, thousands. I think it's in the in the fall, 15,000 um, and Pierre and Seth can talk about this more, were deported from the Dominican Republic back to Haiti. And so Haiti, people's situation is, it's not livable. And so today, actually, the um, Biden made a speech saying that there's going to be a new immigration plan for Haiti. And it's interesting that they lumped Haiti in this. Haiti, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba, that no longer are people going to be allowed to have just come to the border and have asylum. The ironic situation is that in order to like even be processed for asylum these days, you have to enter the country illegally. So you have to go. <laughs> it's completely nuts. So right. Haitians have to go and risk their lives either on uh, over land through Panama or through Colombia to Panama and up through Mexico or over the, you know, today, I think it was 150 came to the Florida Keys. So either you have to risk your lives. And, you know, when you were talking about Haitians, half of the people that we're talking about are children. And of those, half of those are under five years old. Um, or, or you can't come. And now they're saying, well, that's not going to work. So therefore, you have to apply in your own country. You can't apply in Mexico. You have to apply in your own country on your cell phone. And you have to get a security clearance. And you have to have money and all that. And maybe maybe they will give you asylum. They're gonna allow 30,000 people from all these countries per month. So that's gonna be 30,000 people with money. Yeah. I mean, it's a certain economic class that has yeah. a cell phone who actually has a paid account that's operable and can at, yeah. Yeah. That, that's the economic def, def, definition right Yeah, there. you're supposed to fly on a plane and you know- right. <laughs> in order to like even come, I mean, our experience at the border was seeing all these people who had paid thousands and thousands of dollars to court to cartels 
to yeah. even be brought here. I mean, the situation is so inhumane and disgusting that it's something that we really have to pay uh, more attention to. You know, I will say also, just having spent so much time in Mexico the past year, particularly since February of 2022, what you are describing, Murph, is completely antithetical to the treatment of the white Christian Western Europeans fleeing Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Completely different treatment. Precisely. And, yeah. and people in Haiti, are, not only in Haiti, but throughout the world are very aware of that. The blatant yes. racism, not only of what happened on the border, but how Biden, as president of the US, flew to Poland, I believe, last year to kiss uh, little mm -hmm. babies from Ukraine, to roll out the red carpet for, for Ukrainians, which is the way refugees should be treated. Right. But this treatment of people as human beings is being denied to Black folks and to people of color. Mm. And uh, so, you know, to Haitians and people of color, and this is to Africans, the number of Africans. And when you look at US foreign policy as created, not only in Haiti, but in these other countries, a hellish situation for the population there. Merck mentioned earlier about the weaponization, the um, weapons that are flooding into Haiti coming from the United States and the US, um, there is great, great, a great deal of control over these weapons coming into Haiti to uh, weaponize Haitian society and to really wage a war against the people of Haiti in order to make them leave their land, in order to take their resources. And this is what's going on. I know, you know, I, people don't want to leave their own country. People like I think often people go, oh, these places, they're such a mess. They're they're coming to me to the US for a better life, how which they are, how ironic, because these are countries that are intervened. They are made poor. Their situation is right. made poor. And it's really important that we tie, when we look at the situation of the border, that we tie the two things together. That on the, that we tie foreign policy and US intervention is the other side of how they're treating the people when they come here. And, and also it's it's bipartisan, it's the Democrats Absolutely. and the Republicans. And we see that in the, you know, like you mentioned, you know, in terms of the, the deportations, Mark was talking about and expanding the use of Title 42, which they announced today too, right? That they're just gonna randomly, yes. they didn't have to give a reason, but, the other thing that the Biden and the Democrats have done is they've dramatically increased U.S. funding for the Haitian police above the uh, above the levels even under Trump. Trump had quadrupled it, but then Biden took it further. So, for example, last year they put 48 million taxpayer dollars into bolstering the Haitian SWAT uh, uh, um, capability of the police. And um, so it's you know when you look at weapons, you look at training, you look at and the police are demonstrably linked through massive evidence to the paramilitaries and to the gangs there's no there's zero uh, doubt that like the the killings the extrajudicial killings the massacres are linked to the police in case after case such as the la saline massacre so it is by design the united states is making life hell in haiti and then they are ratcheting up the inhumanity at the border 
And, um, and this goes to the history too. When you look at it, I know that there, are, there have been several exposés of this. For example, the uh, infamously known Tonton Marcoutz, you know, of the Duvalier era, they were trained by US military mm -hmm. missions of Haiti. Yeah. Trained, financed, supported the Duvalier dictatorship, both Papa Doc and Baby Doc, financed, supported by the... So what we are witnessing right now is a repeat, a rehashing on the FRAP organization that succeeded the Tonton Marcoutz. Basically the same thing, paramilitary, very brutal, people who use rape, mass rape, as a weapon against the Haitian women and against the society in general to create a reign of terror against, the, against women in the society and the society in general. So what we are seeing is the people's movement of Haiti had managed to stop this with President Aristide as president when he came back. But now we've had a coalition of countries like the US, France, Canada, what they call the core group of countries, they used to call themselves Friends of Haiti. They are a group of nine countries and also international organizations. Brazil is part of it too. And they have pulled themselves together and they decide everything that goes on on a daily basis in Haiti. And all this reign of terror, Haitians attribute it to them and, they, and people in Haiti calls them the core gang, not the core group because they say they are the, the biggest, the, the leadership of the gangs that are making life so hellish for the Haitian people. Yeah, so it's like they make life completely miserable and then they say, life is totally miserable. And the head of the UN today said, Haiti is on the brink of an abyss, so therefore we have to intervene. And, yeah. you know, the- There's the human rights argument. Yeah, we have to we, we create the human rights crisis right. and we're going to go in and, and, and be the people who rescue them. And, you know, it's interesting that you talked about uh, the first Pan-American meeting because it's so it's so contradictory. I, this week we or last week we did see Lula uh, again uh, gain the presidency in Brazil, but yet Lula was one was Brazil was the head uh, actor when the UN intervened after the 2004 coup and had a brutal occupation under UN occupation, which hasn't completely ended and now is threatening to go back again. Yeah. So you. I think that um, I think that we have to be, you know, we have to really be cognizant of these contradictions and the use of Haiti as sort of this, when everybody can't get along with the US, then they use Haiti as a sort of a bargaining chip and say, okay, if you'll intervene in Haiti, we'll leave you alone about this. And, every, and it has been countries in Latin America that have actually agreed to that. And uh, Terry, uh, real quick, I would I would not be happy with myself if I don't strongly denounce Lula, as I'm denouncing Bush, as I'm denouncing Biden, because Lula, as head of Brazil, he was very aware of the atrocities that were being committed by the troops as head of the United Nations forces. Haiti has been under UN occupation ever since the two, the 2004 coup, which the mm -hmm. French the Canadians and the US initiated, organized, initiated. 
and created a lot of paramilitary death squads to kill the Haitian people. This is continuing to this day. The, the occupation has been uninterrupted. And so for them to pretend now, as Merck said, that they are going to come and restore and do this. And now they are the ones who are managing this entire operation and trying to fool people. So uh, I strongly denounced Lula because at the time people thought that socialist Lula, that something good could have come out of him being the head of the United Nations forces. But very quickly, he showed his true colors by being by conducting so many massacres in Haiti under their command. So yeah. whenever I hear people praising him, I'm in support of the people of Brazil. And people in Brazil were outraged when they found out a lot of people, but the information has been suppressed. <laughs> so I strongly do denounce Lula for having the blood of the Haitian people on his head. And the Brazilians were in, they were in the military command of, yes. of the occupation. Yeah. So yeah. this is, you know, this is why I really so wanted all of you to join the program this week because this week is so important historically right we have the celebrating the cuban revolution we're celebrating the re-election of lula and his inauguration and somehow you know we don't we fail to talk about haiti and its independence day being january 1st 1804 and all this these historical uh events and threads that are playing out and you know it's not as pretty as we all want to think despite you know what we believe is on what we believe we're seeing unfold throughout the hemisphere with center left to ra radical left governments. Pierre, while you're talking about uh, Brazil and Lula, what's what's happening with Mexico and Lopez Obrador? Because he also <laughs> has just recently agreed mm -hmm. to support yes. U.S. Yeah. interventionism in in Haiti. Definitely very much of a big disappointment. But I'll have to say this, uh, I'll have to, let, let me give a powerful example of what solidarity is. The Cubans, for example, have been, uh, it's been a different case with them, the way they treat Haitian refugees with dignity. And, uh, and that has been historical ever since the Cuban revolution. Uh, Cuba has been really treating Haitians, both the Haitians who were in Cuba and those who were refugees who happened to to stop by Cuba, they've been treating them with the kind of respect and dignity that is that is correct. And the Haitian people do not forget that. When the coup took place, only Cuba and Venezuela had refused to join the UN forces when many of those so-called socialist countries of South America, of the Americas, were actually flocking to join that and be part with the US in this venture. And so I wanted to raise that. So, uh, Lopez Obrador, to me, is following the same kind of racist attitude uh, in um, doing the bidding of the U.S. in terms of its um, really denying our the Haitian people right to their sovereignty. It's as if Haitian lives do not matter. Not it's as mm -hmm. if to them Haitian lives do not matter. So it's an expression of the of racism. It's an expression of showing the US that, hey, I can be as, as tough as you are. I can follow your dictates and I can treat, uh, we, we have no love loss for these Asian people. So that's what's going on. You know, next week, um, they're calling it the Three Amigos, which is 
so problematic. You know, it's actually going to be our episode next week. Yeah, you know, Biden <laughs> is meeting with uh, Trudeau and and uh, Prime Minister in, in Mexico and um, and Obama, Lopez Obrador, Trudeau, yeah, and Biden. Right, right, Lopez Obrador, and um, and so they've made these agreements, and and certainly this latest. Uh, immigration policy, which I think is so interesting that they lump Haiti with Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, which they don't have uh, diplomatic relations, and yet Haiti is in there too. Um, they made this agreement uh, with Mexico in mind. And there are, there are thousands of Haitians now on the border in camps in Reynoso, which is opposite um, uh, Camp, I think it's Camp McCallum in Texas. And there are also hundreds in Tijuana. And there are Haitians coming through the border at every juncture. So um, this is all completely agreed upon between Mexico and, um, and the United States. And Canada has always played a role in terms of what's going on. In so what has happened or what's the foreign policy narrative, quote unquote, coming out of Washington, D.C. to have Haiti, uh, as she's lumped in with Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, which, you know, the, it's called the, I don't you know, what do they call it? The Troika of Tyranny is what um, the U.S. refers to those three countries. Why, why are, is, what's happening? What's hap Is well, there something specific happening in Haiti, foreign policy wise or trade wise? Have they are they no, buying oil I, I again from Venezuela, or what's happening? I don't <laughs> think there's any kind of serious like lumping in terms of the the, the, the governments. What's happening is they're just in light of the massive refugee crisis out of Haiti, they've they've lumped the, uh, um, Haitians together with some of some of the. Uh, immigrants and refugees from, from the, these other countries. But the US, the Biden administration remains steadfast in supporting the Ariel Henry dictatorship, um, yeah. which as Merck mentioned has been ruling, um, Henri came to power in July, 2021 <laughs> after the assassination of President Moise. But- it, Which you know, we all whole, talked about. What's that? And I will sh I, we all talked about that and I will share that episode with, yeah. uh, with the audience because it's some great, it's really some important history as to how Haiti has the government it has today. I mean, it's kind of like meet the, the new boss, same as the old boss. I mean, they're all right. part of the ruling PHTK, the tech colleague skinhead party in, in Haiti. And it is, its function has been to further privatize and open up resources, including mining, which the mm -hmm. Canadians are very involved in, as well as to um, wage war on the poor and dispossess the poor and wage war in particular on the mass lava loss movement. So the, the Biden administration is steadfast in supporting, and they, they, they play out this fiction that this current government can somehow organize elections in the future, which the people on the ground in Haiti know is, is a farce, that this government can't be trusted whatsoever. Well, it's another, it's another US appointed government. Yeah. Precisely. And you know, this falls within the same pattern of what we had seen you had asked about 1915, the early 1900s, mm -hmm. and that's what the U.S. had had done. It's appoint people, puppets, 
and putting them in. Same thing that it did with the Duvalier regime. The only time that I can say the, that the Haitian people have, had, have themselves chosen with the ballot their own representatives, their own president and leadership was in 1990 during those elections mm -hmm. and also in 1995 during the elections of 95 and in um, 2000, mm -hmm. you know, when the Haitian people themselves had used the resources of the country and had used the, 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 the people, the monies of Haiti and, and done their own elections. But other than that, it's been always staged, always stuff that have been put together either by the US or using the Haitian military that was directly funded by the United States and controlled even the elections of Papa Doc Duvalier that was also an imposition on the Haitian people. So, and that's why the US quickly moved in with coup d'etats to, um, to thwart what the Haitian people, their choices, which was President Aristide and many of the local representatives of the Fermi Lavalas political organization. So, mm -hmm. go ahead. And one thing I, I think is really important, because sometimes it becomes very confusing about what should happen and about how people use the issue of humanitarian crisis and how people use the issue of human rights. And um, the first thing is, as you said, Terry, the progressive people in the United States do not pay enough attention to Haiti, you know, and here is a black country and people are saying black lives matter and it has to also be about Haiti. They don't pay attention. And then many people get confused and they say, um, well, it is a humanitarian crisis. Shouldn't the United Nations go in? And I think that we have to be very clear that the United Nations in this instance is an imperialist uh, power. And you know, just because people wear blue hats doesn't mean that they're peacekeepers, like armed peacekeepers. It's an oxymoron, you know? And the UN occupations in Haiti have been brutal and have caused cholera, rape, um, and mass violence. And so Haitian people have to, you know, they have to deal with the situation themselves. Yeah. Sometimes the US has created, and it, it's like the US creates complete mass chaos, violence, instability, and then says, we have to solve it. But actually, in country after country, people have said, this is our problem, we have to solve it ourselves. And I think the Haitian people have been very clear. Yes, it's a mess, but we have to get ourselves out of this mess, and we can. And get all and the foreign intervention yeah. tools out of there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Institutions, definitely. tools, people that, yeah. Yeah, and the movement today in Haiti is to complete the promise of the Haitian Revolution. The initial, the revolution of 200 that gave rise to Haiti 219 years ago, it was also a dream of our ancestors, not only to break their chains, the chains of slavery and to end colonialism, but it was to free the land, freeing the land meaning that, so that the people of Haiti would own the land and its resources and create a better life 
for themselves and their children and their posterity. So what we are seeing is that this idea, this goal, these goals have never left the Haitian people. And that's what's fueling the movement in Haiti. You talk to any kid on the street, and I say kid in terms of their age group, you have little children, 12 years old, who take to the streets demanding education. You have uh, elderly folks demanding the right to have to eat, the right to have shelter, housing, healthcare, um, food to eat, you know, and all clean drinking water. And this is, this is something that the people are fighting for. Uh, the, for example, wages, decent livable wages. And so people are in the streets all the time, mobilizing, uh, demanding their rights. And so this is the movement that when it came to power with President Aristide at its head was actually changing, beginning to change the structures of the society. The economic structures were being changed. And so that's why the US came in 2004, came before that in 1991, and again in 2004 to stop that process. And uh, so, and in that respect, the war against the Haitian people is to destroy that resistance that's been going mm -hmm. on since the time of two, 2,219 years ago when the people first took, um, created the nation of Haiti. And today they are determined to continue in that light to create a mm. nation that is based on laws and on equality of our people. Wow. I, you know, I'm listening to you, Pierre. I always, I always love listening to you speak, especially since <laughs> your activism is so powerful. All, all three of you, your activism is so powerful. But Pierre, I, I will share with you and the audience, you know, you're really, you are one of the few Haitians, born and raised Haitians that I know. And so I'm, I'm always just so, uh, such an open, <laughs> you know, uh, mind and heart to hear you speak. And I, in listening to you, I really, this everything that you're talking about today is everything the Haitian people fought for and believed they won on January 1st, 1804. And you're still fighting as a people. You're still fighting for exactly the same things that you thought had been accomplished in 1804. And that's why I keep saying throughout our conversation that, you know, you just, the Haitian people are not being allowed. And it's not just Haiti, but Haiti is probably the prime example in the hemisphere of not being allowed to exercise the freedoms, the liberty, the independence that you won on January 1st, 1804. And I would think that that reflect more than anything that reflects the failure of, of, uh, inside of North America, inside of the US, of the movements here to really, you know, yeah. dismantle things the way they should have been, you know, and obviously there's been hard repression that the US government has, has used against um, many of those movements, like through COINTELPRO. Um, so it's not to, to blame people who were the victims of repression inside of North America, but as a whole inside of the United States, uh, we the we still need our own homegrown lava loss to really take take down the capacity of the United States to constantly um, hold human rights hostage in Haiti and everywhere else. 
one of the things that they have done, and when I say they, I mean the, the various uh, right-wing forces, it's to, it's to prevent the history from being shared. One of the things yes. about the Haitian Revolution, and I have to say, I have to praise the Polish troops, who at the time when Napoleon had conscripted them and sent them over to fight against freedom, the movement for freedom in Haiti, once they realized what was happening, they defected from the French army of Napoleon and joined the Africans. And there were among them, there were Germans as well, who defected from the troops of Napoleon when they found out that they were trying to restore slavery and they joined the Africans. And to this day, their descendants live in Haiti and in various regions of Haiti, the descendants of the Polish and the Germans who had defected and joined the revolution. So you see the Haitian revolution was not only pan-Africanist, it was a humanist revolution. Yeah. So these examples of the power of, of people uniting together against a system that's imposed upon us by a few greedy folks to, to create misery all over the world, that has to be, they don't want, those forces don't want people to know that true story. Yeah. And so this is a result mm -hmm. of this uh, constant demonization of Haiti, the dehumanization of the Haitian people, and to marginalize the Haitian revolution to such an extent that even people who are very progressive-minded, people who call themselves communists and what have you, do not feel the kind of connections with, with Haiti that normally they should be feeling yeah. because um, because simply of the, the truth, the reality of what the Haitian revolution has been about and the struggle of the Haitian people continues to be about. And I think also because the Haitian revolution is very homegrown and doesn't look the way people are traditionally looking at what progressive movements should be or socialist movements should, should be. And so it's discounted. And yeah. I think I think that's very dangerous. And, you know, each country has, as I said before, each country has to determine their own destiny and their own model. And certainly one of the things I think that people realize when they go to Haiti is that Haitians are the most politicized people. And they know very well, you know, they, are, they mm -hmm. can determine very well what their future can be if allowed to do so. And that's true in, in countries around the world. And the US absolutely is opposed to that. And, you know, look at, you know, what Biden is doing in the embargo in Cuba. Cubans are coming because he's making life absolutely impossible. And that's what's happening in all these countries. They're making lives impossible. And we have to stand up against that. And we mm. have to, you know, really support the self-determination in Haiti and, and around the world. And I think that's our great obligation, especially as Americans. You know, you said something about letting nations decide, you know, what they want for themselves. And I will say, and the audience knows this, you know, and the three of you know it as well, you know, between October of 2020 and May of 2022, I was an international election observer 
throughout the Americas. There were there were legislative elections, there were presidential elections, regional elections all over uh, the Americas um, in that 14, and then, then after May of, of 2022, Colombia and Brazil as well. And I will say what I saw, and Merck, you're just, you're so uh, reflecting um, what, what I saw in eight different countries, people voting for national sovereignty, natural resource sovereignty, and governments that were proposing an economic plan that would be beneficial to the majority of citizens. And, you know, in some cases, it's one step to the left of center, social democrat, and in other cases, it's, you know, revolutionary left solutions. But everything definitely, the majority moved, at, you know, yeah. left of center. And it's national sovereignty, natural resource sovereignty, and, and an economic plan benefiting the majority. And this is what Hades has fought and wanted since, since 1804. The example, yeah. Hades, the example for everything that's beginning to unfold. It's example in both directions, right? Yeah. <laughs> Resistance <Yes>. and <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, one of the things that the movement in Haiti is appealing for is solidarity, because we know that we can't do this alone. Yeah. And the, the big powers, they all work together in coalition with each other. They, they call themselves coalition of the willing or this coalition or that coalition. Right now- The international community. The inter <laughs> quote unquote. Oh, friends of Haiti or the core group, they all join forces together. And the more we can, uh, the Haitian people, they want the stories to be told. They want people to know truly what is the nature of the struggle in Haiti so that people can link up with them in, a, in, 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 in solidarity. One, by putting pressure on their respective governments, people in the US, people in Canada, putting pressure on the US and the Canadian government. Just like the people in Brazil had put pressure on Lula when they realized what was going on in Haiti at the time and the role that Lula was playing uh, in the name of, of the Brazilian people against, um, against the Haitian people. So it's that kind of solidarity that is needed. The other thing is that there are good uh, examples of organizing at the grassroots level. People are building a new Haiti. People are building institutions, schools, local clinics, uh, universities and that people are building in Haiti. And so these needs to be supported as well uh, to, because the monies of the UN, which is really our tax money, the tax money yes. we give that people of the world provide actually goes to the UN and they are funding a minority, a ruling, they call themselves a, an elite, but a ruling uh, greedy class of folks who are exploiting the people. So uh, we need to change that, that whole structure where our hard-earned money, tax money, is being used to, uh, to, um, to oppress and repress people in Haiti and in other countries as well. So those are some of the things that come to mind. Um, but the only way people can do that is by knowing the facts, knowing the reality, breaking through this um, curtain of lies that hide what's going on there. 
and misrepresent the people of Haiti as if we're incapable or we are black people, we, we can't do things on our own, that kind of line, racist line that they are putting out there. So Pierre, in our, in our closing minutes, why don't you, well, all three of you, uh, share with the audience Haiti Action Committee, what you do and what the audience can uh, do to help your work, support your work and, and help raise awareness on Haiti. Seth, Mark, you all want to go? Go ahead. Go ahead, Seth. Okay. Well, I mean, we, a lot of our work is to, as you know so well, is to, is to, through a series of popular education events in the larger community, um, pre-COVID, we would have a lot of uh, in-person uh, teach-ins. Um, since COVID, obviously webinars, but we, we used to, uh, we've published a lot of literature to get out because the, media, the mainstream media obviously doesn't cover it. Um, we, we organize street level demonstrations. Um, uh, we've done many uh, of those um, against the deportations, against the Biden administration support for the dictatorship. Those have been some of the most recent ones. Um, I think as an organization that Pierre and, and, and Robert Roth co-founded way back in, uh, I think it was 1991, right, Pierre? Was it? Yeah. Um, what makes Haiti Action particularly so unique is that it, it's got such strong ties, especially through Pierre, but also with Robert, with, with uh, the mass movement on the ground um, and with, with the Lava Loss movement, there's a, a, a strong sense of the popular organizations. And so a lot of our, our, our webinars and our teachings directly incorporates these incredible activists and leaders inside of Haiti. Um, we also try to raise, uh, steer people who do wanna make donations to Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, which is kind of like a, is it, well, it's not kind of, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a nonprofit that, that is able to take donations and then get 100% of the donations to the grassroots movement in Haiti and to grassroots institutions like clinics and schools, et cetera. Whereas a lot of the major NGOs, obviously they, they, they take money, they have a big markup and then the funds don't actually reach uh, the people on the ground in Haiti. So HERF, uh, we always encourage people to check out HERF. Um, Haiti Action Committee, we always encourage people to go to HERF to make donations as well, because that kind of tangible concrete support should never be underestimated. I think um, one of the ways that we support Haiti is that we support the University of um, the Aristide Foundation, UNIFA, and which has built this incredible hospital and university graduating thousands of doctors, nurses, um, engineers, physical therapists, dentists, like from the people. And this is a really great accomplishment in, in this past period when Aristide came back from exile and he came back because the Haitian people demanded it. Um, he said he, he was going to put his energy into education and they actually have built this amazing institution. And so People should go to Haiti, www.haitisolidarity.net and haitiemergencyrelief.org to um, get more information. And I think, you know, I think what Pierre said about finding out the truth and, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, in other work that I do, we talk about historical denialism, and Haiti is a really good example of denying history and denying the relationship of what ha of Haiti 
to the United States. And I think we're really, for people who are watching, we're really obligated to like sift through all the lies and understand the relationship of Haiti and to get completely rid of this notion, oh, Haiti, it's so poor, it can't take a break, what's the problem? And to look and see the problem is actually US colonialism and imperialism from all these Western powers. And we really, I would just emphasize, we cannot call on the United Nations to bail Haiti out or the United States. We have to allow, we have to be very clear of no intervention. And that's especially true now. And we also have to be very clear that if the United States and other countries create a situation, then we are obligated to take in refugees and that that's uh, like our moral and ethical responsibility. Pierre, final words? No, I, I just want to thank you very much, Terry. And I want to say thank you to the people of Code Bank and also others who are members of the audience to thank them for their solidarity because I know many people or in solidarity with the Haitian people. And this conversation, as well as others, I, it is so necessary for people to sift through the lies and it's so important. So I'm echoing what Merck just said and also Seth and you, of course, and your work. Yeah. Thank you well, so much. Thank you, Terry, for, you know, for your work, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We yeah. love Code Pink. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I, I should just say, because I, I, um, you know, we on November 1, we um, moved to popular resistance and Code Pink joined us as a broadcast partner. So let me just share with you and also just reiterate to the audience, the audience, uh, a lot of you already know this, but so we are um, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region in partnership with and uh, and I would extend this invitation to Haiti Action Committee as well. And Pierre, we can talk after <laughs> to join us as a broadcast partner, given our new our new format. Uh, so we broadcast uh, via popular resistance in partnership with Black Alliance for Peace, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and all of your friends um, over in Marin at Task Force on the Americas. So we're a wonderful, wonderful coali broadcast coalition now. Uh, and that is uh, nine of us now broadcasting as a coalition for this project. And, and a huge shout out to Fiorella and Craig at the Convo Couch for giving us Thursday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern uh, some space on their channel, which has over 50,000 subscribers. So y'all had a really cool. large audience tonight. Cool. Right on. <laughs> right on. Thank you. Yeah. This is yeah. great. Yeah. So, and then we do also uh, broadcast uh, to uh, Code Pink Action on YouTube and Popular Resistance Org on YouTube. So we simulcast to three YouTube channels. So y'all have been seen by a lot of people tonight. <laughs> Great, well, we appreciate it, Terry. And, you know. and then you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I will just share with the four of you. And I turn, I think the audience knows this. Um, after our live YouTube broadcast, I take the audio and turn it into a podcast and upload that to Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Friday mornings. 
average episode downloads 2017 as of this morning. That's great. Well, since it's so, going to be a podcast, I just want to reiterate www.haitisolidarity.net www.haitiemergencyrelief.org. Wonderful. And I'll put that in the program notes for YouTube Excellent. and for the podcast to make sure. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, it's Terry. It's so wonderful to be in conversation with you. I so value your work, your friendship, and your time. And um, and just uh, remind the audience, we'll be live next week, 7.30 p.m. Eastern uh, on Convo Couch, Code Pink, and Popular Resistance or YouTube channel. So, Thank you, Terry. Right on. See you next week, everyone. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.